Aphrodite, a humorous Regency novel by D.G. Rampton, chapter 38 and 39. April intercepted her grandmother on the stairs as she was making her way down. Her well-preserved relative was looking particularly attractive in a gown of bronze satin worn with gloves of the same colour and with an ornate diamond necklace displayed against her milky white décolleté. Oh, thank goodness I have found you, April exclaimed in an urgent whisper. Giving her grandmother no opportunity to speak, she linked arms with her and led her to the nearest room at the bottom of the staircase, which happened to be the library, and shut the door. What are you about, child? asked Mrs. Delamere, none too pleased to be manhandled in such a way. And why are you wearing that dress? Because I wanted to, replied April, momentarily sidetracked. And there's no point pretending his grace won't like it, for I know for a fact he will. Mrs. Delamere looked her over with careful consideration. Hmm, perhaps tonight is the perfect night after all. It is certainly an impossible dress to ignore. Oh, forget the dress. I did not bring you here to talk of my clothing. Lord Wolfingston knows all. I beg you refrain from going into theatrics. Tell me simply what you mean. Lord Wolfingston overheard his grace call me Aphrodite, said April, clasping her hands together in agitation and then wincing in pain. His grace calls you Aphrodite, does he? laughed Mrs. Delamere. Well, well, that is certainly ironic. Ironic? Whatever can you mean? asked April with feigned innocence. Lord Wolfingston appeared to find it merely amusing, and he fell into reminiscing of another Aphrodite he knew fifty years ago, a courtesan in Paris. Mrs. Delamere's rich laughter filled the air. April regarded her with exasperation and added wryly, So yes, you are quite correct to call it ironic. He has worked it out at last. It took him long enough. Why, he was one of my most determined admirers. He even lost his head one night and asked me to. But that is unimportant. God give me strength, April exhaled. Did you actually want him to uncover the truth? After all the years you drummed into Mamma and I how we were to keep our relationship a secret, why, it's the outside of enough. I beg you rein in these tumults of emotion. There's no reason to suppose he knows of our connection. He may not know, but he certainly suspects. He told me I did not resemble the women in my family. Mrs. Delamere smiled and lifted a perfectly shaped eyebrow. I am almost flattered by such perception after the passage of five decades. Aren't you concerned? asked April, quite bewildered. No, of course not. I'll say this for Barnaby. He was never a Puritan. But that was a long time ago, said April. Oh, I have spent some time in his company over the last few weeks, and I still hold by my opinion. Still, one can't help wondering what he'll do next with the information. It's really quite stimulating not knowing what to expect. April marvelled at her sang-froid. Really, Grandmama, to hear you talk, one would suppose this is nothing but a game to you. For the brave, what is life but a game of our own choosing? 
Suddenly, remembering another grievance, April asked, Why did you never tell me your real name was Lucille Nelson? Or the reason you chose the name Delamere? I had to find out from Lord Wolfingston of all people. There was no reason for you to know. I suppose I should have expected that answer, said April, smiling resignedly. I am in awe of your audacity. Still, I can barely believe you would do anything so foolhardy as to call yourself from the sea when you were known as Aphrodite. If Lord Wolfingston could decipher the meaning, then surely there was a danger of others doing so. I couldn't resist, said her grandmother, the naughty gleam of a much younger woman in her eyes. And what you can't realise, child, is that the fashion of the time lent itself to me creating whatever character I wished, with little chance of discovery. The face paint, wigs and clothes I wore in Paris as Lucille Nelson, courtesan, were not the same as those I put on as Mrs. Delamere, widow of a respectable Northumberland landowner and mistress of the Earl of Windermere. At least, not in public, she finished with a throaty laugh. Thank you for putting such an image in my head, complained April, smiling despite herself. I could have done without knowing that you played the courtesan for my grandfather in private. Mrs. Delamere laughed again, and it struck April that she had seen her laugh more in the last two days than during the whole course of the last year. This thought was quickly followed by the suspicion that her grandmother was not as indifferent to Lord Wolfingston as she pretended. Come, child, enough of this tete-a-tete. We must not hold up the Christmas Eve festivities. But what are we to do about Lord Wolfingston? asked April. Why nothing? He must be the first to act. A short while later, April found herself placed between Hugh and His Grace at one end of the dinner table, while Miss Starling and Mr Kepling were seated together at the other. This obvious ploy on her grandmother's part embarrassed April to such a degree that she found it difficult to meet Hugh's eye when he attempted some mild conversation. His efforts were perfunctory at best in any case, and so it fell to his grace to take up the reins and lead them through a variety of subjects that were as entertaining as they were unexceptionable. Her friend's only misstep occurred early on, when he attempted to carry on his flirtation with her, thinking it was expected of him. But a subtle shake of her head was all that was needed to put an end to his efforts. It had never been part of her plan to put on such a performance for Hugh's benefit. Owing to his grace's skilful handling, April soon recovered her spirits and began to converse with her neighbours more naturally, although she did suffer a temporary setback when Lord Wolfingston caught her eye and smiled in a manner calculated to throw her into confusion. Fortunately, Mrs Delamere came to her rescue by drawing his notice with a remark that appeared to simultaneously amuse and put him in his place, and April was left feeling deeply thankful for her grandmother's wide experience of men, which made it possible for her to handle the Earl so masterfully. Catching April's smile as her gaze rested on Mrs Delamere, Hugh asked her, What has put that impish sparkle in your eyes? Have you perhaps noticed how well our hostess has managed to keep my grandfather from insulting the other guests? As a matter of fact, I had noticed, she replied, laughing a little. It is quite an achievement. 
but perhaps your grandfather's manners improve of their own accord when in company. You're quite out there. We were in company the first time you met him, and on that occasion, you remember, he barged into your home intent on mischief. How could I forget? Mrs. Delamere clearly deserves all the credit for any improvement. They shared a look of unholy amusement. He made it perfectly clear that night, she continued, returning her attention to her place, that he was not at all reconciled to the idea of my mother marrying his son. I believe he has since changed his mind, put in Hugh. She faced him again, knife and fork poised, and asked eagerly, Do you really think so? Has he said something to you? Was it after he invited my mother and Lord Paisley to visit him at his house? A smile tugged at a corner of Hugh's mouth, but he replied with perfect gravity, Yes, yes, and yes. Please tell me what he said, she said pleadingly. He didn't go into it at any length. He simply remarked that your mother would make a better wife than my uncle deserved. Oh, but that is a wonderful sign. Is that all he said? Yes, I believe so. As she turned back to her dinner, he added, He seemed more interested to talk of Mrs. Delamere and asked me a great many questions in that direction. April stilled for an instant then raised the fork to her mouth and wrapped her lips around it, before slowly withdrawing it and laying down her cutlery with great precision. Hugh found the whole sequence inexplicably seductive. He looked down at his glass of burgundy, his countenance so hard and unyielding that to an observer it must have appeared that he found fault with the vintage. What did Lord Wolfingston want to know about Mrs. Delamere? April asked casually, when she had finished her mouthful. Where I had met her, how long ago, that sort of thing, he replied, keeping his eyes on his wine. That was some weeks ago, she said, frowning. Yes. I wonder, could he have perhaps changed his mind about her? You mean Mrs. Delamere? Oh, no, I mean my mother. Never mind. I spoke without thinking. Do you believe something may have occurred to change his good opinion of her? He asked, looking at her again. No, she replied carefully, eyes flicking to Mrs. Delamere. Nothing of that nature. Hugh wondered what mystery lay in Mrs. Delamere's past that made it impossible for Lady Hartwood to recognise her as her mother. He doubted his grandfather would care in any case. He certainly did not, and he was ready to annihilate anyone imprudent enough to give April one moment's pain over the matter. Whatever's in that mind of yours, don't let it concern you, he said. Your mother and my uncle are independent of my grandfather and can control their own destiny. You're right, but then it is difficult for persons of our nature to comprehend my mother's feelings on the matter she would be exceedingly cast down if Albert's father did not approve of her. And also, he is bound to have some sway over public opinion. Not that there is any reason why he shouldn't approve of her. He does not appear to be moralistic or prudish. Wouldn't you agree? she asked with a hopeful expression. No, my grandfather could never be accused of being either, replied Hugh, amused. The tentative smile she gave him clawed at his heart, 
and he wanted nothing more than to draw her into his arms and kiss away her concerns. But, until he could find a way to untangle himself from his engagement, all he could do was offer her some advice. You know, whether or not my grandfather approves of your mother is, for the most part, irrelevant. At the risk of sounding like a coxcomb, the truth of the matter is, if I endorse Lady Hartwood, there are few in society who would go against my judgment. Oh, I had not considered that, she said, breaking into a relieved smile. Who would have thought that I would be grateful to you for puffing up your own consequence? End of chapter 38 and 39